Hey, let's pray. Lord, for the suffering, for the poor, for the hungry, for the cold, for the refugees, for the prisoners, for the oppressed, for the despairing, for those who serve in government, for workers, for chaplains, for doctors, for nurses, for institutions, for hospitals, for those who provide relief, for those suffering in our congregation, for the aged, for the sick, for those who tend them, for the dying, for the bereaved, for the lonely, for all your children. Come, O light of the world. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, so much going on. Uh, Epiphany's here, and you know, soon it's going to be on to Lent. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, a few things. Uh, some of you give religiously, and I mean that in the truest sense, uh, to the manna fund every week, and then you probably wonder where that goes. Well, what happens is, is the pastors um, figure out where we should aim that, and then you would say to me, How's your aim? And then I would say to you, you should meet Sam Sparks. Sam, you have 60 seconds. Deliver the goods. I'll take care of the rest. Morning, everyone. Thank you, Pastor. Um, so I'm the president of the Wheaton College Pre-Dental Society, and that's who I'm representing this morning. We're doing a fundraiser event to uh, purchase, assemble, and distribute pre-dental kits, or dental hygiene kits, essentially, with like floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, toothbrushes, that sort of thing, at the Albany Park Homeless Shelter, and then also with an international mission trip going to Guatemala coming up at the end of this month. Uh, so that's kind of our plan. That's what we're fundraising for. And I just want to thank you for your support. Thank you. Under, under 60 seconds, Sam. Well played. So here's the thing, right? So, uh, you know, the Wheaton College kids have been a great joy to us. And Sam's been here from forever. Uh, and, you know, it's just fun to kind of see people grow into their stuff. So if you need a dentist in a couple of years, Sam will be your guy. And, uh, but in between, you know, all this good stuff that happens. So what happens is people come to us and say, hey, can we do anything? And what we like to say is, yeah, of course, people have already given toward that. We were just waiting for you to tell us how to aim. So uh, some money will go towards Sam's cake. Give to the Mana Fund if you want to support things like this. There's not a direct connection so much as there is. You put money in a pot. We look around the world, we send money out. Last night's a good example of that too, right? Um, how things work in different places. So thanks to Sam and your pals. I mean, all you do is give the money. Sam actually does the heavy lifting of buying and sorting and finding people and going to the homeless shelter and arranging the international stuff. So we're grateful for you and also grateful for you. Once in a while, we need to say it out loud. Second thing, in terms of saying things out loud, I mean, last night was indeed off the hook, right? I mean, it was, that was one of the five best services we've had since I've been here at St. John. It was, uh, you know, otherworldly in some sense. And, uh, you know, you were all in your best behavior. That was nice. Uh, <laughs> Peter saved us at the last moment because the vicar and I, even though we'd walked through the service three times, did not block seats for the bishops in the front row. Oh, that would have been embarrassing. Uh, so, you know, thanks to Carol Tonys and her crew for vacating, although she didn't give us a side eye or time or two, <laughs> who's running this show. I th although I think when Carol dressed down the president of Senate, I felt better about our voters meeting, so. <laughs> think about it. Uh, so anyway, um, last night was great to all the people, you know, I'll forget if I start to name, but really. It was, you know, phenomenal things happened, like the food was all there, and then poof, it disappeared. <laughs> Even, I mean, people were like, what just happened here, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously the service, but also the care. The bishops have gone off to 10 congregations to speak other places. We got them last night, so I sent them 
in different directions. Also, you know, among other things happening, Eric Ankerberg, who is a member here, becomes the president of Concordia Mequon today. But you know, there he is at the Eucharist here this morning with his family because he's going to do something important and you start with Jesus. That was really, really good. So thanks for last night. The music was really phenomenal, as was the food and the hospitality, which got as much comment as all the tangible things, right? So that you were kind, right? That people, you know, that people recognize that there's a different feel. As I told you from the, you know, retreat last week when somebody said to me, what in the world is going on here? Which is exactly the feeling you want people to have, like, what is going on here, right? I mean, last night too. It's just, uh, it's hard to, every once in a while, everything works. So work hard and then every once in a while, it all comes together. So that was really, really nice too. Um, then, you know, we keep going. So you've got a little thing here about light. You know, why should you come to church? Which is what you've been exploring. And, you know, there's a range of reasons to come to church, but when you start to say it out loud, um, things happen. So, uh, light and darkness. Uh, is one way you could talk about the bishop's talk from last night. Uh, I had not met him before. He and Fred Gady are old pals because they've met because you've sent Fred over to do mission work in Spain a couple of times. And so, you know, he and the bishop are pals and they like each other and then the bishop comes and that's great. And um, I had a chance to chat with him and show him around the sanctuary and uh, extraordinarily humble guy. And yet, you know, facing what he faces. I mean, I wouldn't want to be on trial for hate crimes for the next five or 10 years of my life. That's a miserable kind of outcome. But it's really interesting to hear him talk, right? So if you were here, uh, you know, I don't know how quickly you were able to absorb that. That in some, in some ways was a very intellectual conversation. You could see a guy who's processed the scriptures, society, a range of disciplines, um, psychology, sexuality, politics, but I, I was trying to think how I could kind of explain this to you for those who weren't here. So in a single sentence, right, a single sentence, here's how you can, I think, um, we'll test this, right? So this is new, because I've been thinking about this from last, since last night. Here's a way that you could think about the world. The world divides in this way. People who observe the world and people who construct the world. Okay, so we are people who observe the world. We believe there's a God. We believe that God created the world. We believe that that God is merciful to us and came in the person of Jesus Christ to forgive us for our ills. And that this God who constructed the world cares deeply about returning us home to heaven. So we believe that the Lord, um, we believe that the Lord constructed the world and we observe it even enjoy it. So we observe a world that's in there in, in advance of us. If God is dead and things just evolved out of the muck and nobody's in charge, uh, you might as well assert your will and be in charge. And so you construct a world to your advantage and you keep changing the rules until you're the winner. So the, maybe the most fascinating line for me last night was when he said, I said this, and the chief prosecutor says, but you meant this, 
and because I think you meant this, you go to prison. That is a remarkable, remarkable change. He said, here are my words. He read what he had written. These are my words. And she said, but that's not what you meant. I think you meant this, and that's the reason for you to go to prison. That's a, that's a construction of reality. It's not observing what he said. It is constructing what he said. And this is the whole sort of enlightenment, hermeneutical, Marxist, Nazi, will to power agenda, deconstructionist, you know, that just keeps, it's a single thing that keeps showing itself, which is, I'm the master, and I will master all of you, and I will marshal the forces to put you in your place, even if I must imprison or kill you. So, a single way, we observe the world or we construct the world, which is it? Just test this, see if this works for you. It'll, it'll, I think it'll make your life easier as you wander through and maybe relieve some anxiety because, um, you know, you get nervous that people might get the best of you. But in the end, as you heard from the bishop, you cling to what the Lord has given us, Christ, his word, his church, and then the chips fall where they fall. And uh, death, and then resurrection will be the great equalizer. So keep going, okay? Now on the way, light. So I was, uh, this is a busy week. I spent the first couple of days at the seminary in St. Louis. I was asked to uh, give some initial thoughts. They're gonna refurbish the seminary chapel after 30 years. So I was asked to come down and meet with a couple of guys um, who uh, know a lot of stuff, the dean of the chapel and another guy and kind of walk through and then meet with the president, walk through again and meet with the president and make, begin to make suggestions about how the chapel space might be used. And in some ways it's like this, there are basic things, but there's a lot of blank canvas there. So that was the first part of my week and then the second part was with the bishops. So, um, you know, just kind of being thoughtful about how we go forward. But then I was at the service on Wednesday, Wednesday morning in the, in the chapel at St. Louis, this is beautiful, and they celebrated Candle Mass, which I'm sure none of you have ever celebrated. It's glorious. So Candle Mass is the day when you uh, get all your candles out that you're going to use for the year in the church, at Easter Vigil, when you make calls, when somebody dies and you put candles around there. By the, by the way, here's the secret. Did you, the candle that was by the lectern did you see the candlestick by the left? That very bold black and silver candlestick? We have six of those. If you're Christians, when you die, we put the pall over your casket and then we put the candles at the corners just to remind everybody that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. Nobody's been brave enough yet, but if I die, fire away. Okay. <laughs> she was a little eager there. It was candle mass, so you know we started outside in the dark and blessed the candles going forward. You would think to yourself, what kind of people are that, right? You never had your candles sprinkled with holy water. They didn't use holy water, don't put that on. But turn the page to point number two. Why would you do such a thing? Yeah, you have to mark time, and it's been 40 days since Jesus' birthday, right? 
40 days since Jesus' birthday is the visitation and the purification. And so, uh, you know, 40 is a big number in the scriptures. It rains 40 days and 40 nights. And, and uh, um, you know, Moses on Mount Sinai for 40 days getting the Ten Commandments. And 40 years in the wilderness and 400 years in Egypt and 40, 40, 40 every place. It's one of the big numbers in scripture. So after 40 days, Jesus and Mary with Joseph come to the temple for light, right? And uh, when they come, there's just this beautiful reception from Simeon and Anna. It's such a nice, nice thing, right? So I've given you the text there. When the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they were good Jews. They did what they were told. They followed the law. They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him. There's the presentation to present him to the Lord as is written. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy. Pause in the way that, for example, the Israelites coming out of Egypt were being reborn in the Red Sea and being called holy. Everything matches, everything rhymes, right? You think back to the way you, you're reenacting the Exodus. We were dead and now we are alive. We were enslaved and now we're free. We were nobody and now we're God's people. And so you bring your firstborn child. You know, the Egyptian firstborn children were all killed, but not the Israelites. The Israelites came through free, right? Because the Lord had redeemed them. So every time you have a child, you go up to the temple and you redeem so that you won't forget. You buy your child back. It's the ritual that teaches you. It's not sitting in a chair with a cup of coffee and a Hawaiian shirt saying, what are you thinking about today? It's putting smoke on the altar and having people be quiet and chanting in Latin and singing the Magnificat and being a different person this morning than you were last night at seven o'clock. That's why you do these things, right? So here it is. The time came for the purification, for the presentation. The time came to be holy and offer the sacrifice according to what the Lord said. Now here's an observation about Mary and Joseph. They were observing the world, not constructing the world. The word of the Lord is already there. The way of the Lord has already been defined. The Lord was there first. Your choice is to accept it or reject it. But if you think you can be God yourself and construct your own world, you're a fool. Okay? So look at Mary and then look at Joseph. So Pastor Nelson just said to me, I'm up the 19th of March. It's the feast day of St. Joseph. Can, can we do it? And I said, you know, please do, right? Because Mary and Joseph in it together. But look at, here's, so Mary, still grateful from the Magnificat, which was magnificently sung last night and this morning again, right? So the, the music upstairs, who, if you're in the choir, you should go home and be proud. I mean, and Peter, and Nathan and all the people who played, thank you so much because they've been working for weeks and weeks and weeks to make that, you know? It was unbelievable. Now why? God is there and that humbles us and we're grateful then for what he gives us, you know, like a child. And that, that gratitude expresses itself in love. Love does good, so we'll do what the Lord asks us. So love is really just obedience and when we obey, here's the bonus prize, you actually find out that your life is joyful. Right, tick-tock, 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 you know this. Obedience, I mean, gratitude, humility, love, obedience, joy, it's all bundled up. That is the rhythm of Mary and Joseph as they go up. 
They don't pretend they're in charge. They're not making it up as they go along. The Lord has told them what to do, and they happily do it, not as finger-wagging-ness, which was the most commented thing on last night, the, more than the bishops, more than the music, more than the smoke, which frankly was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> the most thing that was commented on most widely was the hosp your hospitality toward people. It couldn't have been me because I can't see all those people. Your hospitality toward people. So when they'd done everything according to the law and they were happy, then they went home and they lived their life and Jesus goes silent for 12 years. 12 years. Be another 12 years before you hear from him. Less, you know, 40 days. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, you know, what was happening there? This is God who created the world. This is the God who created the world, acting to redeem his world. And so you have, and I've given you a lot of text here, but I won't read them all word for word, but we have this famous text, the Lord will appear quickly in his temple, suddenly, and surprise everybody. In a couple of weeks, when the devil tempts Jesus to jump off, uh, jump off the highest, the pinnacle of the temple, and land unscathed in the middle uh, of the Temple Mount area, and everybody would say, how did he do that? The temptation is to fulfill this in an illicit way, to jump from the top of the building and not be smashed, to land lightly and say, I'm powerful and I'm Messiah, which would be exactly the wrong kind of Messiah. But you know, the devil's temptations are always coming in different directions. Here's a good way that this can be fulfilled. In humility, in gratitude, recognizing who God is, recognize what's been done, understanding who Jesus is, they bring Jesus up and he appears suddenly in the temple fulfilling this prophecy. Now, every firstborn boy appeared in the temple. So Jesus just appearing isn't the deal. It is that the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the second person of the Trinity, he's appeared. So thus says the Lord, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way, John the Baptist, and suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek. John the Baptist will show up. We heard about him in the Christmas story. Now Jesus shows up, suddenly he's there, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. So I just tied that together for you. The covenant made with the Israelites coming out of Egypt is the same covenant fulfilled by Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And you can endure, you know why you can endure? You know why the bishop can endure? You know why all this works? To a person last night as I talked to those guys, to a person, there was um, talk about just carrying on in the way of Jesus, right? And here it is, for he is like the refiner's fire. Fire gives light. He's like fuller's lie. Lie is what you use when you want really bright clothes, light. He will sit refining and purifying silver. If you want really shiny, bright silver, fire it up, right? And he will purify the sons of Levi, it'll happen to make them like gold or like silver. Why? So they can observe what the Lord has given them to do so that they can offer due sacrifice. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord 
as in days of old. Everything will be fine again. Right? Now this happens over and over again. Um, there are these three great canticles in scripture. Uh, you know, uh, the Magnificat, which we heard this morning, and um, the Nunc Dimittis, which we always sing. Uh, and then the canticle of Zechariah, which doesn't um, get much play, but which finds itself in, in my daily, in my morning devotions every day. And it's this beautiful canticle, but this is the first stanza and the last stanza of it. So just listen to this. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He's come to his people to set them free. He has raised up for them a mighty savior, born of his house of the servant, David, right? Then the last paragraph. In the tender compassion of our God. So how does, so just, you, can't, you can't make this up how good this is. How do politicians rule you? They change the rules until you're, you're a criminal. One of you mentioned to me when I came back from Russia the first time, I told you about changing money on the street. And I said, aren't we uncomfortable changing $10,000 uh, on the street in Russia? And I said, I said, you know, it is illegal. The, the, the Russian pastor started to laugh and they said, by law, we all have to pay more than 100% of our money to the government in taxes. By law, he said, so we're all criminals, right? That amazing? You're always a criminal, always liable to be arrested for tax fraud, if nothing else. Right? Crazy talk. In the tender compassion of our God. Here's, but here's how God is. So politicians or political constructs are meant to keep you down, to master you and punish you and kill you if necessary. The bishop is um, example A. In the tender compassion of God, the creator, the dawn from on high shall break upon us light, the morning star, right? To shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of killing all our enemies. No, into the way of divine peace. Just as a sidebar today, if you haven't been to church or if you took the bulletin home, Start to count how many times light is mentioned, even in the foot, even in the margin comment, even in the, in the sermon hymn, right? Oh, morning light, how fair, how bright. Start to look. And by the way, glory is a synonym for light because glory is, a, is just an, another name for God's holiness and holiness is always alive with light. If you begin to look, why go to church? Because light is everywhere. In a dark world, right, where people like the bishop get oppressed, in a dark world, Jesus is light. You come, why should you come to church? Because there's light here, the lights are on. I get so excited about Jesus there, I almost started swearing. Well, that's a faith experience. <laughs> Apparently not for you. Okay, good, so. Uh, right. And then, you know, this is not just the way of the parents, but then everybody chimes in. So point number four, you've got Simeon the prophet. So what does he do? I mean, he looks like, Looks like Stephen Nyquist holding Johan. That's what it looks like, you know. Steve, if you need a babysitter, Stephen's available. Uh, he doesn't charge that much. He's super good. Okay, when the kids go in his arms, they're like, "It's like great." He doesn't change diapers, but he will make your kids sleep. So there you go. He's, I mean, he's experienced. He's at a higher level. So um, you know, Simeon does the same thing to Jesus, right? He takes Jesus near. There's this old man in Jerusalem righteous and devout, filled with the Holy Spirit, revealed to by the Holy Spirit, came in the Spirit. Come on, 
This is the guy you want to hang around with. The Holy Spirit's his best friend. Came into the temple, and when Mary and Joseph brought in Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, you know, to obey, to observe, he took him in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, I'm ready to die. And you should just observe the fact that this is what you say after you receive the Holy Supper. I can die now. Everything's going to be all right. The medicine of immortality, the antidote to death, the ticket to the resurrection, Theodore Mopsuestia. It's all right. I can die now. I embrace on my tongue Jesus. My eyes, look, light, see your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of people. This is of nations, of pagans, of Gentiles, of non-Jews. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for you people, Israel. That great stuff. So Simeon and then Anna and then hopefully you too, right? All of that is still the explanation of the candles. So point number five, I actually, you know, I looked around, I can't, I was, I didn't have a I didn't have the liturgy in my hands. Nobody did, only the, uh, the celebrant did. But, uh, you know, they said a prayer like this. So here's how you would bless your candles if you had candlemas. God, true light, who create light eternal. Notice that it's a plural, who, God, who, create, not creates, not one God. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who create, you create, Light eternal, so create, which we observe. We don't construct it, we observe it. Spreading it far and wide, everybody's in, nobody's out. Pour, we pray, into the hearts of the faithful, that would be you, the brilliance of perpetual light. That's the sort of light that will see you through the day, but also see you through the night of your death, perpetual light. So we often pray uh, when people die, may they rest in your perpetual light. It's the kindest thing. You, people don't know what to say when somebody dies. That's a beautiful thing to say to somebody. May your father rest in perpetual light and see the face of God. Right? So, so that all who are brightened in your holy temple by the splendor of these candles, right? Last night, you were brightened by the splendor of the candles. Everything looks better in candlelight, right? Brightened by the splendor, the beauty of these candles may happily reach the light of your glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. I mean, that is just poof, off the chart. So that's why you come to church, because the light is here. And there's other reasons too, but that's a really good reason. Uh, you know, most people look better in candlelight. It was cloudy for so many days in a row, right? December into January, and now suddenly the sun's out and you're all brighter. The world, on the other hand, gets darker. This is a point number six, and so uh, you're going to stay busy. Now, uh, golly, I've I got to be careful here because um, how you proceed against the darkness is really important. I guess I can say it in a, in a sentence. I would say, proceed like Jesus. That should get it done. Proceed like Jesus, not like an internet troll not like an alt-left or alt-right, not like a conspiracy theorist, not based on facts from Twitter. You just proceed like Jesus, you'll be okay. What would that look like? 
Nowen. You have to keep unmasking the world, right? What do you do when you unmask somebody? Don't you watch Scooby-Doo? Come on. <laughs> off the mask. Now the light is clear, right? You have to keep unmasking the world about you for what it is, for what it is. You need to observe the world for what it is. It exists in advance of you. So observe what it is. Manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. Which means you don't want to end up being manipulative, controlling, power-hungry, and in the long run, destructive. That's on the devil's team. The world tells you many lies about who you are. There you go. Chop, chop, right? And you simply have to be realistic enough to remind yourself of this, that the world is lying to me. It's dark out there, it's light in here. It's worldly out there, it's otherworldly in here, which is why you do weird things like dress up and light things on fire, sing in Latin. That's all weirdness, unless of course it's true, and your candles have been blessed, and the white is an imitation of those white wraps that we'll get when we get to heaven that you heard about from Dr. Byans at the men's and women's retreats. Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, and I have to just say, you know, all of us have spent about four years now feeling hurt, rejected, and offended. Every time you feel that way, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself, and frankly, about other people. This isn't the truth. This isn't light, right? This isn't the way of Jesus. It's not what I'm meant for. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in everlasting embrace. Look at that. God holds you the way Simeon holds Jesus. You hold Jesus, Jesus holds you. It's beautiful stuff, right? But I also want you to be careful about feeling like you're better than everybody else, which is easy for us to do. See, I mean, this is the next thing. If we leave today and we think, ah, I figured out a way to think about the world now. I will observe the world as God's creation and then act accordingly. It's very easy to start thinking who you are. As they would say in New Jersey, welcome back, Norma Pirro, to the Eucharist today. Uh, it's very easy to start thinking who you are. I'm better, more important than everybody else. Uh, no. <laughs> you think uh, about yourself. Unless a man has been shocked to the depths at himself and the things he is capable of, as well as the failings of humanity as a whole. He can't possibly understand the full import of, this is written in the diary of Advent, but also it's true for Lent, of course, coming up. Delp was uh, a Jesuit, frankly arrested just because he was a Jesuit uh, at the time when the assassination attempt against Hitler failed and he was uh, shortly executed thereafter, but um, he left us some things to think about. So the world is dark, but you're not. And you should use your time unmasking the world, but you should do that in the way of Jesus. And um, 
You need to come to church to get the strength up for that every week. What it means is that if we come to church right, we come to it more fully and nakedly ourselves, come with more of our humanness showing than we're apt to come in most places. We come like Moses with muck on our shoes, foot sore and travel stained, with the dust of our lives upon us, our failures, our deceits, our hypocrisies, because if, unlike Moses, we have never taken anybody's life, here's the payoff. We have again and again withheld from other people, including often even those who are nearest to us, the love that might have made their lives worth living, not to mention our own. Like Moses, we come here as we are, and like him, we come as strangers and exiles in our way because wherever it is that we truly belong, whatever it is that is truly home for us, we know in our hearts that we have somehow lost it and gotten lost. Something is missing from our lives that we cannot even name. Something we know best from an empty place inside us all where it belongs. We come here to find what we have lost, right, in holiness, in light. We come here to acknowledge, to observe, to confess that in terms of the best we could be, we are lost and that we are helpless to save ourselves. We can't construct our way out of this. We can't sexualize our way out of this. We can't politicize our way out of this. We can't psychologize our way out of this. All those things can be used properly as instrumentum secundum, as a secondary instrument. But when they become primary, they become idols, and when they become idols, they must kill us. They raised an idol on the plains of and whenever the timbrel and the lyre and the, right? Three men in the fire furnace. We come here to confess our sins. Or if you will, we come here to find light. So we're between seasons of repentance, between Advent and Lent. We have this little break where, you know, we anticipate Jesus who comes and we deserve him to come like fire. And then even John the Baptist is confused that Jesus doesn't have sharper elbows. And then there he is in the manger and the magi come and here's the king, a real king. And here's how he expresses his kingdom in obedience to his parents, in miracles, in eating with sinners and helping the poor and even the Gentiles. Even we live from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. But we should begin already now, a little advanced warning, you know, a couple of weeks till Lent, the 22nd for ashes. Uh, Vicar, wherever you are, check to make sure there's enough ashes. I haven't told you that yet, but now I did. <laughs> They're hard to get last minute. The, the Catholic bookstore guys look at you like this. So you have a chance here then to um, come and examine yourself and then especially work toward loving other people. Thomas Merton, if we are called by God to holiness of life, and if holiness is beyond our national power, do you, I mean, this is just so weird. Like I wrote all this well in advance of the lecture last night, 
but it's interesting how it's just the same things again and again and again, right? There's, I mean, there's no new song here. It's beautifully told by people who we may not be used to, but I mean, it's just the same thing again and again, and we're so thick we can't get it, which is why you gotta come to church because frankly, there's a lot of work to do here. If we're called by God to holiness, and if holiness is beyond our natural power, we can't construct it, right? We can't create it. We're not creators. Beyond our natural power to achieve what it certainly is, then it follows that. Hey, if we can't do it, then it follows that. God himself must give us the light, the strength, and the courage, think about the bishop, to fulfill the task he requires of us. He will certainly give us the grace we need. If we do not become saints, it's because we do not avail ourselves of the gifts. Man, that's pretty simple. And so, you know, you have this great uh, rendition from Anna, who uh, is the daughter of Phanuel, face of God. Weird how things work out. So the daughter of face of God sees the face of God in the flesh, born of Mary, right? She was advanced. She comes up, the last, the last bit, comes up at that very hour and begins to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so then, you know, we not only bless our candles, we sing the Nocturnitas. When I give in to the old liturgy, for Advent and Lent. Yes, I know. My wife loves me 10 weeks a year during the old liturgy for Advent and Lent. Four weeks in Advent, slight pause in the love, and then reloved for Lent when we go back to the old TLH, which you know came down from Sinai. So there you go. <laughs> Hey, everybody's got problems in their marriage, okay? Come on. <laughs> the Mulberry is right, which would be the Joe Home right. This is the South Indian right, where it is said that St. Mark ended, uh, or traveled. I don't think he ended there, traveled. Maybe he was crucified, but in any case, St. Mark, there's a strong Catholic presence in Southern India, and uh, it's because it's said that Mark got there. They're the Mulberries Church. Even listen to this. You are the brightness of the Father's glory. You are the image of the one that begot you. I'm at number eight, right at the bottom of the page. Right at the bottom of the page. This is, a, this is a, another prayer from the Holy Eucharist. You are the brightness of the Father's glory, the image of the one that begot you. You appeared in our human flesh and enlightened our soul by the light of your life-giving gospel. Look, light, 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 light. We praise and worship and glorify you at all times. With you, sacred wisdom makes me wise. With you, I can see things. I can see wisdom. I can see what's wise. I can see what's smart. With you, you make me wise and grant that I may serve you by keeping, obeying, loving, being grateful for your vivifying, life-giving, enlivening, energizing, divine commandments entirely and always. Amen. Um, you know, we're close to time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't actually, um, 
I despair of ever finishing again because I have so many things I want to tell you, but you can take it home and read it if you care. But I'll quickly give you 9 and 10, and then you know, off you go. But in number 9, I just wanted to observe this, that um, when people got light in the early church, they didn't sit around thinking about getting light. They got light, and then they got busy. Okay? If you want to be a saint, Merton says, avail yourself of the gifts. If you're not a saint, it's because you don't touch the gifts. Touch the gifts, be a saint. Now, I'm not making this up as I go along. This is the Didache. This is the earliest manual on being a Christian outside the scriptures. But just look at what happens here. This is just you know, 90 paragraphs explaining what Christians are doing or what they should do. Don't be one of those guys who opens his hand to receive but shuts it when it comes time to giving. Hey, don't always go to the washroom when the check comes at the restaurant, right? Here it is in the Didache. Don't be the guy who opens his hand to receive, but shuts someone at times to give. So what? Don't be a miser. You know what light means? Don't be a miser. Be generous. Go down a little farther. Abhor all sham, which frankly would mean, you know, you probably need to take a social media pause. Abhor all sham, no lies, because lies are darkness and they come from the devil. Shams are lies or darkness, they come from the devil. If you have to embrace it, or engage it, discern it, evaluate it, small doses please. Avoid all sham because that's not pleasing to God. Don't neglect the commandments of the Lord. Don't be so lazy. Look where we're gone now. So Jesus comes, he lights you up, and then what? Be generous, don't be a miser. Tell the truth, don't tell lies. Get to work, don't be lazy. Next paragraph, see that nobody leads you astray from the way. This is the way, that's not the way. The very first line of the Didache. There's a way of truth and the way of lies. Choose truth. There's a way of light, there's a way of darkness. Choose light. You should be careful who you listen to. You should listen to Jesus. You should listen to the liturgy. You should listen to the prayers. You should be more careful when you listen to people talk about the liturgy and the prayers. You should be much more careful with that. You should listen to the catechism, right? You should be careful, because all kinds of people want to take you away from observing the world and teach you to construct the world. They want to remake the world in their own image. In the liturgy, you observe the world of Jesus and you bend yourself to it, the cruciform life. Everybody else would like you to bend to, the, to, their, to their world too. In fact, they're willing to force you to do it by what you can do and what you can say and where you can go and taking things away from you and putting you in jail and killing you. And your ultimate freedom was the, number, the, martyr, the Libyan martyr number 21 who bared his neck and said, I'm with those guys. Solzhenitsyn, when they've taken everything away from you, I'm most free. See that no one leads you astray. Don't follow any teaching that takes you away from God. So you've got to think. Now, just... I'm gonna grind my ax here, even about the Missouri Synod. There's two ways you can do this. One is you can become ultra Amish. You can intermarry, move away, put up razor wire until all your children have nine heads. Okay, you can do that. And you know, you'll self-extinct and the world will be a better place. I have to exaggerate for the sake of time. There's not much left. 
Your other possibility is you can engage the world with Christ and light full force and stuff the world on itself until it dies or until you die. Take it either way. But I don't know anything in Scripture where Jesus says, you know what you should do? Retreat and not make any disciples and keep yourself safe and just talk to your own people and repeat things over and over again like an echo chamber because I don't know, you'll be a different kind of echo chamber. I don't know any place in Scripture. I do know a place where it says you should make disciples and make them stronger. I do know where it says you should get busy. I do know where the Gospel says you should be salt and light. I do know that place. I'm struggling to find the other place. So, go to church. You should assemble, and when you get there, you should break bread and you should give thanks and you could confess your sins, and you should do that without quarreling. Last night, there was no quarrel. That's what a church looks like when everybody is pulling on the same end of the rope. That's what it looks like, and people who came from outside, more than half of that crowd, probably 60 Maybe 70% of that crowd was from outside, and they were all looking around going, what's happening? It's not because we're so fabulous, it's because we read the Didache. Okay? That's how you offer me a pure sacrifice, because I'm a mighty king. Correct one another, not in anger, but in composure. Even the church has adopted anger as a strategy. That is a sin. Correct one another, not in anger, but in composure, as you have it in the gospel. Watch over your life. Your lamps must not go out. Your loins must not be ungirded. Be ready for anything. You don't know the hour when the Lord is coming back into the temple on the 40th day. Assemble in great numbers. Go to church intent upon what concerns your souls. Take care of your souls. All right, gotta go, love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks. Love you. See you soon.